When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Our Minds is a podcast about the teenage experience, made by teens for teens. There's a lot on our minds, and talking about it helps. On Our Minds Season 4 is produced by PBS NewsHour Student Reporting Labs in collaboration with KUOW's Radioactive Youth Media. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 100, how can parents find joy and energy in the new year? So happy new year. Happy new year, Rena. Oh, I'm glad to ring it in with you. Oh, I am too. And I'm really excited about your brand new book coming out. I know. We're in the year when the book will come. It's arriving on February 21st is when it publishes. It's called The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, Raising Connected, Capable, and Compassionate Adolescents, and I'm really excited for it to be out in the world. Go pre-order now. Lisa has worked so immensely hard on this book. I'm so freaking proud of you as your friend. I've just oh, seen how thank you. hard you worked on it and the, the research and everything that's gone into it. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, this book really aims to give parents what I hope is a very useful reframing of what mental health is in teenagers and how we support it. So it's really about normal adolescent development, all of the ups and downs that come with it, when it's time to worry about your kid, and it offers a, a, an approach to adolescent emotionality, which is rich and busy, <laughs> that I think will make life easier at home. And you give us tips on how to deal with issues. Very concrete. I think everybody knows my work. I am very practical at the end yeah, of the day. Like I true. really want families to feel like they have tools they can use. And I will say, I think on this book, it's very much a teaching people how to fish book, teaching people sort of a broad way of thinking about adolescent emotionality as opposed to giving them fish. Mm -hmm. So I hope it's useful. I know it's going to be useful. And um, there's a special gift actually, if you pre-order now, tell me about that. I love gifts. Yeah, no, we have a good package. So if people go to my website, they will see all of the information about this. But here's what we're giving away with pre-orders. One is access to a webinar with me. I'm going to do something through Random House, a special webinar for people who pre-order. Wow. A signed book plate. I have beautiful book plates that I will sign and have mailed to you to put in your book. And then a How to Manage a Meltdown bookmark, which you can download for free from my website. But this is like the real thing. It's got two sides. It's printed. It's on nice paper. And so that's the package that comes with pre-orders, and um, I hope it. I hope it's appealing. I love this, and I think this is so great, especially that webinar. So I am pre-ordering mine because I can never get enough of your advice. But I'm 
So exciting. Congratulations, my friend. You have worked Thank so you, tirelessly on this book and it's filled with great little gems. So I can't wait. And we're going to be unpacking it too on the podcast. So you, you want, you want yes, to get the book. Will. So we're the supplementary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rena. So in this new year, you and I were talking about, we always love to have one kickoff episode that helps us sort of rethink the year. And uh, one of the letters that stood out to us was about how do you, when you don't feel charged anymore and you feel exhausted and drained and pulled in a thousand directions, how do you pick yourself up? So I want to read you this letter uh, that we got about about caring for yourself. Um, it says, Dear Dr. Lisa and Rena, I really appreciate your guidance on how we can best support our kids, but I feel like where I really need help is figuring out how to take better care of myself. What can I do as, quote, self-care that can truly make a tangible difference for my own mental health? As a mother of three kids, ages 7, 10, and 12, the pandemic was absolutely brutal. But if I'm honest, things continue to really feel challenging, even though life is mostly back to normal. I feel pulled in a million different directions, tired all the time, and find myself constantly falling down rabbit holes of worry. I'm sure that there must be something I can do to feel better, but I just don't know what exactly that might be. What do I need to do to get my life back where I don't feel exhausted all the time, how do I find that joy again? And why do I feel like it's still so hard, even though we're coming out of the pandemic? Thank you in advance for your help. Oh my gosh, where do you even begin with this letter? But can I just say, this mom has really hit it out of the park in the way that so I identify with this. Do you identify yeah. with this? Absolutely. I mean, there's so much in the letter about feeling pulled in so many directions and feeling tired and going down worry rabbit holes. I think that She's really speaking to very universal experiences of being a parent and then honestly being a parent now. I mean, this is a very hard time to be raising kids. There's a lot going on around us that is quite distressing. Yeah. So where do you think she should begin? Well, Rena, here's something I've been thinking about a huge amount, which is to set realistic bars for what our aspirations are in terms of how we feel and how good we feel. And you know I've always had my questions about the wellness industry and the commercialization of wellness. And I have the concern at times that this idea that like there's some zen we can get to, some good place out there where you feel good and calm and relaxed, I, I, that's not realistic and it's actually not a very helpful idea. Well, I think about my own mom. I, 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 she was always go, 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 working nights as a nurse. And there, th we we think that there's this like you can have it all and then you can just be sitting down. And so how do we manage that expectation? Because you need a break and you want to recharge, but you've got so much to do. You do. So one of the things I think that is very helpful is if we replace this idea of feeling good or high levels of wellness with this idea of having a sense of equilibrium. That's the term I've been using a lot for myself, which is like having a sense of like balance, not like thrill. I mean, yeah, it's wonderful when nice things happen and you feel really good. I mean, enjoy is to be had. But really aiming for a sense of equilibrium. And what equilibrium really assumes is that things are going to knock us off balance. They're going to do it almost every day, if not multiple times a day. And our job is to have counterbalancing forces that can help us regain a sense of equilibrium. But when I say lowering the bar, that would be one of my recommendations for 2023 is we're not going for feeling great all the time. That was never on the menu. We're going for a generally having a sense of equilibrium. So tell me what that looks like when you say a general sense of equilibrium. Like what am I, 
doing now that I can do differently in the expectation department? Like I have a to-do list. I've got a bunch of things. I've got to do laundry. I've got to figure out groceries. I've got to do my day job. So how do I, what, how do I need to change my thinking? There's a few things we can do. So one is that giant to-do list and think about how we think about that. And something I have tried to do, and I'm not sure I'm winning on this, but I, I want to share what I'm trying, is I also have the giant to-do list. And I often feel like I can't relax until the to-do list is done, yeah. until it's all crossed off. And I have seen it as something that has an end. And you and I both know there is no end to the to-do oh, list. Like isn't. it never ends. There's always new things coming. And so what I've tried to think about it being a bit more, and we'll see if this is helpful to anyone else, and it's working well enough for me, but it's not perfect, is to see the to-do list as a flowing river. It's always flowing. There's always water adding, coming along, you know, sometimes big surges of it. And seeing myself as moving in and out of that river. So sometimes I'm in the river working on the to-do list, and sometimes I step away and I go do other things. And I, I, there's some ideas I have about the kinds of things we might do to actually get some equilibrium when we're not standing in the river of our to-do list. But really treating it as there's no end to it, and so I get to walk away and take breaks, and then I come back to it and I work on it again. That reframing has helped me a little bit, as opposed to thinking one day I will get to the riverbed and then the to-do list will be done. Mm. Oh, that's interesting because I'm like I can never relax at the end of the day because I'm like I didn't get eight of the twenty out of the, out of the twenty to-do list things done, which I'm setting myself up for failure because who can do like twenty five things in one day? Well, and of course, and of course, you started with those things and 10 new things landed on the list yes. in the day, right? So like, even if your ambition was reasonable at 9am, you know, by 4pm, like all this other stuff has popped up and now you're behind. Yeah. So if we instead treat it as like, it's an ongoing thing and what of those things really had to happen in a given day and what of those things can get pushed to your visit to the river tomorrow, you know, I mean, I think <laughs> that that way of approaching it can, um, has for me at least, taken some of the pressure out of having so many things that I know need to be done. Okay. Okay. But let's talk about when you're not standing in that river or getting out of that river. Because yes. I think there is really useful research that has actually changed my life and how I live Huh. that I came across in the pandemic and that I think might be useful here. So we don't take enough control of how we spend our attention. And this is something we all know, right? We feel like our attention is fractured. We feel like it's pulled, like as this wonderful writer says, pulled in a million directions. And one thing I would love for people to do or to play with in 2023 is taking more charge of how they distribute their attention. And I'm going to give us two easy categories for how we might go about doing this. One category is what psychologists call hard fascination, which is an interesting term. And basically the way to think about it is if we picture that our attention is like bandwidth, right? Like, and there's this wide bandwidth of attention. Hard fascination is anything that fills the bandwidth, has it totally occupied. So it might be like a book that we get lost in or a TV show that we love or a movie that we love or a totally engaging conversation for kids, it can be things like video games or also all the media that you know they love and you know can be very absorbing, but things that totally occupy our minds. Hard fascination is a mental vacation. And 
what I mean by that, and I'm thinking about this writer who says that sometimes she falls down worry rabbit holes. Yeah. If you find yourself, when I find myself falling down a worry rabbit hole, and the more I think about something, the worse I feel, I now very deliberately engage in a hard fascination activity to take a mental vacation, to change my mental channel from the thing that was bothering me to something that totally engages my mind and pulls me away from something that is psychologically painful to focus on. So how do you do it? Let's say you're worried about your kid and just deeply, deeply worried. You can't think straight. You're saying change the channel how? So what would you start thinking about? So I would find something that I find incredibly compelling to go do instead. So for me, it would probably be watching reruns of Ted Lasso, or I will honestly confess, like internet shopping, like looking at beautiful items online. Like I, you know, buy very little compared to how much I look. But for me, looking at pretty things, looking at beautiful clothes is hugely compelling. Like I love looking at design. I love thinking about it. So finding things that take your mind and push it down a new road works. And here's the kind of the amazing thing. It doesn't solve the problem at all, right? I mean, the problem, whatever it is that you were worried about, has gone completely unaddressed. But what we know is that when we change our mental channel, especially when we have been spinning on something that we can't do anything about, two things happen. One is we stop dumping stress hormones into our bloodstream. That when we're spinning on something and worrying and worrying and worrying, we're actually, there's a physiological component of that. And it eventually feels really bad for your body. So you basically just stop that process. The other thing that happens all the time is if there's something we've been focused on really hard and we're upset about it, and then we think about something else, when we come back to that thing, it is often the case that it just doesn't seem as bad. The, the time away, the distance, the perspective, we're like, eh, okay. Like we usually have some new purchase on it. And so hard fascination is one of our best friends, especially when we are stuck in a mental rut. Hmm. And you're saying taking that time away really makes a difference. Uh, Lisa, I want to ask you, sir, about being pulled in a million different directions, but we're going to pause, take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table for settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Just think of all that cash back you can get on those groceries. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today. So the future you will thank you for it. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cashback credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cashback? A getaway with the kids? A spa day for yourself? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cashback credit card. And don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Paying for college shouldn't be the hardest part of higher education. Hi, it's Rena Ninen, co-host of the Ask Lisa podcast. I recently spoke with U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona about FAFSA, the free application for student aid. Did you know you can apply for financial aid today? and you'll get a response within one to three days. Check out our show notes to the link for the full interview on our Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest videos from Lisa and me. That's the Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Welcome back to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting. We're talking about how do you recharge yourself when you feel worn out. Um, Lisa, what do you do when you feel like you've been pulled in a million directions? Okay, Raina, this is where soft fascination comes in. So that's the contrast with hard fascination that the research scientists who do this work make. So if hard fascination is something that pulls all of our mental bandwidth, like completely occupies our mind, soft fascination is when we do things that are routine or even boring, that demand very, very little cognitive energy. So it might be things like um, you know, folding laundry or washing dishes or working in the yard. And what we discover under soft fascination conditions is that all of that available mental power, right, that's not being used because the work is not that hard or compelling or interesting, goes in, and the way I think about it is, starts to close mental tabs. And one of the ways I can experience like that pulled in a million directions phenomenon is this sense of like, I have 50 tabs open. Like there's so much going on at once. And when we allow ourselves surplus mental power, right, by just not turning on the radio in the car, not, you know, putting on a podcast while we go for exercise, when we just allow surplus mental power, that mental power goes in and starts to close tabs. And the most universal experience of this is having one's best ideas in the shower. You know, that happens all the time. Oh, oh my gosh, I totally understand that. But you're saying this is because of the soft fascination yep. that it flows easily or Absolutely, easier? Absolutely. Like that showers are like the all-time soft fascination activity because, you know, you know how to shower. You don't have to practice at it. You know what you're doing. And the other thing about showers is we usually don't have our tech. And so... I have found personally, I tend to ruin what could be a soft fascination activity because like I'll go for an exercise walk and then I'll take my phone. And then it's, you know, within three blocks, I'm playing on my phone or talking to somebody or calling you or whatever. And so one thing I have done when I try to step out of that river, right, get myself some equilibrium is if I have the sense that I have way too many tabs open. I will go do something. For me, it's I have a route that I walk in my neighborhood, and it's very beautiful, and I don't have to think about it. And I will leave my phone at home, which is hard to do, but I do it. And within a couple of blocks, I'll be like, oh, 
I know how to respond to that email. Or I almost forgot so-and-so's birthday is coming. Like all of these things that have been draining mental power, suddenly my mind finds them, solves them, and then I have more energy when I come back to the river. So if we think in that way, that we can be deliberate, like do I need a hard fascination because I'm stuck in a mental rut? Do I need soft fascination because I have you know, so much on my mind and I just don't even know where to start? We can start to take more control of how we feel overall. We can regain a sense of equilibrium. And I'll tell you, Rena, my favorite thing about soft fascination is that you don't have to change or add anything. Well, you don't have to add anything to your life. So for me, when I get in the car, I'm always going somewhere familiar. I don't go very many new places. I will make a decision. Should I turn on the radio? Should I listen to a podcast? Or should I drive in silence? And if I have too many tabs open, I will deliberately drive in silence and let soft fascination take over and start to close those tabs. And that's what I love about it. It's not another self-care practice that we need to add to our days, right? It really is easily workable into the day-to-day, but it makes a huge difference in terms of equilibrium. So when do you feel like you need to use hard fascination versus soft fascination? So hard fascination is your best friend if you're stuck in a mental rut. If there's one thing you're thinking about and you can't stop thinking about it and it's making you upset. And I think a lot of people do intuitively like go binge watch something or they do intuitively, you know, like go online shopping or whatever they find super engaging. And so I just want you to know if you've been doing it intuitively, you've been doing it right. Like you have found for yourself the mental break that you know you need. So that's what hard fascination is good for. But can I tell you, when when I do this sometimes with clothes, for instance, and I don't realize that I'm doing it, I'll take a break and start looking at clothes and put them in my cart to look at. But then what happens is I go so far down, I can't bring myself back to doing the task I had initially started. And so then I get so sidetracked. That can really happen, right? And it's interesting because what I'm making the case for is deliberate distraction. And We have not generally spoken very well about distraction. Like it's usually, you know, focus is good, distraction is bad. And here I am making the case that actually there are times when we really want to distract ourselves and it's important to do it. But you just like nailed, you know, named exactly the limit of that unless we then binge watch for three hours and, you know, put ourselves behind on all sorts of other things we're supposed to be doing. Here's what I would say. There may be benefit in really understanding why one is doing what one is doing. Serena, I do wonder if the next time when you're feeling like super frustrated or stuck on something and you're like, I am going to go internet shopping and I'm going to do it for 20 minutes. I'm going all in on the hard fascination of it. Mm. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to do it guiltlessly, Mm. but I'm only going to do it for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I actually wonder if it might not be more satisfying And easier to then move back into the work you need to do or whatever else you need to get back to if you have said to yourself, I know exactly what I'm doing and I know why I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it for this long. Wow. That's good. You set a time limit, you know, and then I probably enjoy it more because then I'm feeling horrible that I'm not doing my thing, but you're saying take the time Mm -mm. and do that. Don't feel horrible. It's a great idea. And I think that sometimes that feeling horrible, actually, it's got to undermine how restorative it is. So let's get the horrible out of there. Let's just say, go do it enjoy it. You're using hard fascination. You're taking a mental break. You're going on vacation. Enjoy that vacation, then come on back. I think that may make it easier to come back to what needs to be done. And then self-fascination, when do you find that's appropriate or helps best? I think that is our best friend when we have that sense of feeling psychologically cluttered. 
you know, when there's that strong sense of like, I don't even know where to start. My mind feels like just absolutely like, you know, a teenager's bedroom, you know, a messy <laughs> teenager's bedroom. Um, that's when soft fascination can help actually sort of sort through things, pick things up, put things away, get rid of them. Um, it's, it's really, really powerful. Is there anything else, Lisa, that you find helps in sort of getting more restored and, and not feeling pulled and drained? Well, I was really interested in this letter in her comments about just feeling so tired. Yes. And and I know that we talk about it a lot, but I'm not ever going to let it go. We have to be militant about protecting our sleep. And I will tell you clinically, Rena, and this is something I actually write about in the book, I cannot evaluate someone psychologically if they are exhausted. So when I have cared for clients in my practice who come in in the wake of a crisis, and that happens, you know, which is often how we meet people in our practices, my I will hear about the crisis, I will be very curious about what's going on, and then I will say, are you sleeping? Mm. And if they say no, I will start there, start with the question of what can we do to be helping you get more sleep, what's getting in the way of your sleep, and we'll start to pull all the levers I know that we can pull to improve their sleep because I cannot actually assess whether there is depression, whether there is pathological anxiety. I can't assess any of that in somebody who is sleep deprived because sleep deprivation looks like all of those things. Oh, wow. So sleep is so critical for our mental equilibrium that anyone who feels like they are tired or their sleep is disrupted, I would want them to make that priority number one for managing. What if you're, and I find this during the pandemic, that there were moments where like it really helped when I got up really, really early before everyone. Then there were f- phases where actually I did my best work from 8 to 10.30 at night when I'm alone in my room. And so how do you work through that? Like for adults, you tell us about children, the amount of sleep they need, right? But what about adults? How much, how un- uninterrupted? Like walk us through what we need. So what adults need, adults need somewhere, I mean, there's a wider range, but usually somewhere between seven and a half and nine hours, you know, is what adults need. And I think the way to assess how much one really needs is what do you wake up from without an alarm, right? So that gives you a good sense is, you know, when does your body naturally wake without having something come along and wake you up will give you a sense of how much sleep you need. Of course, a lot of us are operating with sleep debts, which is that we haven't gotten enough sleep. And so then we go to sleep. If no alarm comes, we actually stay asleep for a decent amount of time. So let me ask another question here. Um, Can you bank sleep? Like, let's say you go on vacation for a week. Can I then just sleep for 12 hours? And is that in my reservoir? If you're able to sleep for 12 hours, you're probably making up a sleep debt. So you're actually behind and catching up. You're not getting ahead. And I think that once people have paid off their sleep debts, which is basically the accrued amount of sleep that we should have been getting and haven't been getting, then they start to get a sense of how much sleep they really need because they go to bed and then they wake up you know, without an alarm and that gives them an indicator of that. But other things that really matter, and this is, again, stuff that people have heard, but I just want to say it again, getting away from tech right before bed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're on your technology, just like a teenager, right? If they're on their technology before bed, it's going to interfere with their ability to sleep. Having a room that's cold enough and quiet enough and dark enough is really worth making time and space for. Um, watching our caffeine, right? And and how late into the day we enjoy it, right? I really try to cut myself off by one o'clock, you know? And then the last thing I would say is to really use that hard fascination idea at night 
if you're having trouble falling asleep because you have so many worries on your mind, then you should do what? Well, so what I would do is I would have something that you read or maybe listen to, but I would rather not have technology in the picture if possible, but something really engaging that is very far away from whatever your worries might be. So I will tell you, Rena, in the pandemic, I was having a hard time falling asleep and I got into historical novels mm-hmm. and and like demanding ones, like ones that I really had to concentrate on because those provided enough hard fascination that I could change my mental channel from all the worries about the pandemic and the psychological concerns that were rampant at that time, especially, and then I could fall asleep. So using hard fascination as a very deliberate tactic, if your mind is spinning, spinning, spinning at night, and it's hard to just change your channel and let let it all go. Mm. So as we wrap up here, Lisa, what do you think we really need to if you were to give us sort of like a top three list to hit reset in 2023, what can parents do for themselves? Top three list that can really be transformative and they could really feel a difference in their lives. I would say number one, set a realistic bar for what you're going for here. You are not going for Zen joy every five minutes. You are going for equilibrium where there's some good times and some bad times. And when things do not feel good, you have some strategies for balancing it out. Those strategies being hard fascination, soft fascination, and sleep being like top three of those. I think the second would be to really, really embrace the idea that caring for ourselves is part of how we care for our kids, right? Everyone who listens to this podcast is listening because they have children in their lives they care about. And I think we always have that experience as parents of having to, feeling like we have to choose between caring for ourselves and caring for our kids. And what I would say is you caring for yourself is you caring for your kid. When you have cared for yourself, you are funnier, more relaxed, more Mm -hmm. easygoing. You take things in stride. Our patience is better. That's good for kids. So this is like blanket 2023 permission. Go care for yourselves. It's an important way to care for your children. And then the last thing I would say is put fun things on the calendar. This is really important. Having things to look forward to, having things that are going to be joyful no matter what, you know, like whether it's like a massage or, you know, lunch with a girlfriend that you love, things like that are so effective because we look forward to them, we enjoy them when they're happening, and then we look back on them happily. So they go a long, long way to building joy into our lives. Mm. This is good. And I I feel better because I love, you know, what I love about what you do is you just like with this new book coming out, you look at the research and you extrapolate and you explain to us here is the research on this and here's how you can shift your thinking and this can help. So thank you very much for that. I'm so excited about this new year. I think so many people need to hit the reset button and I I just see some great opportunity and positivity. So thank you, Lisa, for helping because I know these strategies are going to help me personally and um, hopefully our listeners as well. You're welcome. It's such a pleasure for me to get to think with you about these things. And I do hope that they're helpful because I want people to have a wonderful year. Mm, we really do. So what do you have for us for Parenting to Go? So for Parenting to Go, I would like for us to bring distraction back into the fold of things that we think are okay. That <laughs> I think we want to do this for ourselves and for our kids. That it is absolutely useful at times to go do a little internet shopping when feeling frustrated or to go watch a TV show to get past something that's annoying. And to also appreciate that our kids do this too, that sometimes when they're feeling frustrated with their homework, they might go watch a couple YouTube videos. This is not all bad. 
as long as it can be kept to a couple videos, a couple short things, it can be a very, very powerful way to maintain our mental equilibrium. Never realized that you can give yourself an excuse to get distracted and it's actually a healthy thing. It is a good thing. It can definitely have an important part of our sort of mental economy and the maintenance of all of it. Lisa, I am so excited for your new book, The Emotional Lives of Teenagers. It's available now to pre-order. You'll want to read this one. It's really good. Oh, Rena, thank you. I'm excited about it too. And I'm excited about this new year. Um, Happy 2023. Here we go. Happy New Year, Lisa. And next week, we're going to talk, Lisa, about how do you get your teens to open up when they don't want to talk. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.